This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Well, now let's talk real slow. Let's talk real low. Let's not make too much noise in case he's sleeping because he is old, you know, and he is retiring. He's so ancient and such an antique. Good morning, Dr. History. <laughs> Good morning, Zeb. How you doing today? How come you get to retire? Well, uh, 38 years of practicing, and, you know, I've got a nephew that's going to take over for me here at the same office, and he's going to do things the same way that I've done them for years, and and a lot of my patients are not just patients, they're also friends, and so I wouldn't just turn this over to anybody. Well, I can... He's a good young man, and he will treat people right, and take care of them, hopefully, uh, well, I, I know he will, he'll take care of my patients, because... Well, like I say, a lot of them have been become dear friends. Well, I just want to say up front, uh, Dr. Ken Turner, you are a very nice person. And it's been a blessing to my wife and myself and my family for us to get to know you. Uh, you've done a lot to help me, and I just want to wish you, of course, I'm not going to just let you go. You're going to stay here hopefully on the radio and also with dr-history.com. Uh, you're, you're just one of a kind, and we appreciate you. Well, thanks, Zeb. I, you know, I want to keep doing the show, and uh, there'll be times when I won't be able to do the show, but uh, I'm going to plan on being here as often as I can. Well, with that being said, uh, we want to emphasize the fact, and I'll let you do the advertisement because you do it so well. Dr. Dash, history.com. People can listen anywhere in the world. Yes, they can be, in fact, we have listeners, we do have some listeners all over the world, which has kind of surprised me, from Japan to South America to Europe, and mostly, of course, in the United States here, but, uh, yeah, they can listen on their smartphone while they're driving down the road. They just have to go to the, our web page, you know, dr-history.com, and they can pick from the last, oh, there's probably 15 or 16 shows on there now. So, and every week we'll add a new one. All right. Well, today, what are we going to talk about today? Well, as you think about the Old West, there were groups of men that were involved in law enforcement. Now, as you think about groups of men, is there any particular group that comes to your mind? Well, yeah, the uh, the Pinkertons. Okay, another one? Uh, how about... Um, uh, along with the Pinkertons, well, vigilante justice comes to mind. Okay, you're, you're still missing my main guys. Okay, and not the Pinkertons, and it's not vigilante justice. It must be, uh, uh, and it's a law enforcement agency, right? <laughs> Way 
way down south. How about, I'll give you a hint, how about Texas? Oh, the Texas Rangers. Yeah, the Texas Rangers. Okay. Well, I'm going to give you a little history about these guys. And, you know, uh, Hollywood and, of course, movies have always uh, romanticized a lot of the people of the Old West that weren't always worthy of praise or uh, romanticizing. And so I'm going to kind of talk about the good, the bad, and maybe some of the ugly of the Texas Rangers. Okay. So, anyway, the Texas Rangers were organized primarily, originally, to fight Indians and Mexicans. And it was only after Texas had grown in population did the Rangers turn their attention to the outlaws. Now, the name Ranger in the early days referred to an individual who ranged across a large expanse of territory, uh, traveling light, ready to fight at a minute's notice, Uh, Officially, they thought of themselves not only as rangers, but actually kind of a militia or, if you want to call them, mounted volunteers, even spies and mounted gunmen. I mean, that kind of describes what these guys were. Well, in 1823, Stephen Austin first formed bands of these rangers to protect settlers. But it was not until 1835 that the Texas General Council gave recognition, assigning them the official task of defending the frontier against the Indians. Well, one company of 25 men patrolled east of the Trinity River. Another group patrolled between the Trinity and what they call the Brazos River. And a third group between the Brazos and uh, on into Colorado a little ways. Well, when Sam Houston became the first president of the Republic of Texas, he made friends with the Indians. Um, he liked the Indians, so he reduced the Texas Army to hardly anything. Uh, so really, the Texas Army was not effective as a far, uh, fighting unit. Now, Houston, like I say, he loved Indians. And to keep at bay those Indians who were what you'd call unreasonable, he signed into law in 1842 an act authorizing a company of mounted men to act as rangers on the southern frontier. Now, a year later, he approved legislation for two more companies, and he refers to them as spies on the southwestern region. Well, now, here's what the description of these guys were. He said the human material for the rangers and the spies were largely adventurers and referred to as rabble. Uh, So at times, they brought credit upon the Texas Republic, and at times, they kind of disgraced it. But... In general, most of them were brave men, and for a while they cleared Texas of the Cherokees and the Comanches, and and as commonly happens, they were involved in some stupid blunders, uh, kind of some shameful episodes that weren't they weren't too proud of. But you know, in their defense, uh, keep in mind in that era, uh, there was a lot of mistakes made when it came to uh, and tragedies when it came to. Uh, I guess being uh, upholding the law, if you want to call it that. Well, when the long-simmering Mexican War broke out, the American armies for the first time fought uh, guerrillas. And the Mexican irregulars were a nuisance, but not a big threat. But in order to disperse them, there was a guy by the name of General Taylor, and he called for several mounted Texas regiments, or, or in other words, Texas Rangers. Well, Taylor used them as anti-guerrilla forces and scouts, And during this period, the Rangers started their uh, reluctance to take prisoners. Now, this was not a good thing. Mm -hmm. The Mexicans who did not account for their presence were usually shot on the spot. Uh, A lot of innocent people died, but the number of Mexican guerrilla operations diminished, too. I mean, so there was some good, but 
Nevertheless, this random killing of civilians uh, kind of appalled this General Taylor, and he referred to the Rangers as a lawless bunch uh, who have scarcely made one expedition without unwarranted killing a Mexican. So, again, kind of a bad spot uh, for the Rangers right in there. But anyway, as the American armies drove deeper into Mexico, the reputation of the Texas Rangers became known way out of proportion. In fact, when they'd go into a little town, there'd be big crowds of uh, people would uh, throng the streets, uh, anxious to see what they referred to them as the Texas Devils. They wanted to see what these guys looked like because they, they kind of had a bad reputation. Now, in Mexico City, the Rangers, they'd scattered around town, drinking and sightseeing, and every day a few wound up dead. Uh, the murderers ducked behind the, into the dark streets and buildings, and a few of the ra Rangers decided to put a stop to the killings. And as they walked down the street, if someone threw a rock or simply brushed against them, the Rangers pulled out the pistols and executed the so-called guilty person on the spot. Mm. And in one day alone, uh, 80 bodies were left sprawling on the streets. Oh, um, my. So, again, kind of a black mark on the Texas Rangers right in there. And, well, it was not long after this that they returned to Texas. Well, the Texas Rangers went out of business for the next decade. And after Tex entered the Union, the United States Army took over the job of protecting the frontier. Now, the governor did call out the Rangers for service against some Indian uprisings in, uprisings in 1855, 56, 57, right in there. But uh, they neglected to tell them that the process that the, uh, in the process that the state treasury was empty. So the Rangers would have to furnish their own equipment, their own uh, guns, everything, and wait for pay from the legislature. Oh, boy. So basically, these guys weren't getting paid anything uh, for doing what they were asked to do. Mm -hmm. Well, about this time, the Comanches were running rampant. Uh, they were destroying outlying ranches and farms. And in desperation, the Texas legislature voted money, and they commissioned a guy by the name of uh, John S. Uh, Ford as Supreme Commander of the Texas Forces. Now, this Ford guy, he broke his command into four detachments, and he crossed the Red River into Indian Territory in Oklahoma, and where on May 12th he struck the Comanche camp in full fleet fury. In bitter fighting that raged from early morning through the late afternoon, there was a uh, Comanche chief by the name of Old Ironshirt. And his name, uh, he got his reputation because he actually wore a coat of mail. Uh, they wore because he believed that he and his followers were invincible. Well, they weren't. Well, Ford's uh, 200 plus Texas Rangers engaged over 300 warriors and they killed 76 and captured 300 horses and 18 women and children and anyway the Rangers had only four casualties and only two of those were wounded mm -hmm. so this campaign plus engagements by the U.S. Army effectively broke the back of the Indians power in Texas so in that respect I guess you could say the Texas Rangers kind of helped settle that part of the United States mm-hmm so now we get into General Sam Houston. Okay, he got the idea that he would organize an army of Texas Rangers, and he wanted to invade Mexico, bite off a chunk, annex it to Texas, and figured that a grateful Union nation would elect him president of the United States. And some historians believe that he thought he would actually avert the coming civil war by doing what he did. And I don't know, maybe he could have, but you know, crazier things have happened. So, but. The war he tried to prevent actually came before he could actually get started, and during that conflict, the Rangers dropped practically from sight. They were pretty much non-existent. 
Well, after the Civil War, uh, there was the governor replaced the Rangers with uh, a group of men that they didn't like. It was called the the Texas State Police. Oh. And in fairness, the state police were never as bad as they were painted, but they were painted to be a pretty bad bunch of lawmen. These this Texas State Police. Well, the citizens elected a Democratic legislature, and it appealed to state police law. And when the governor vetoed the bill, it was passed over, they passed over his veto. So now the Rangers were back in. So now we got the Texas Rangers back in, in full force. Now, you can't study the Texas Ranger history without being astonished at the number of killings by these men. Now, an accurate count of the dead is impossible. We just don't know. But the figures, counting Indians, Mexicans, and Anglos, would run probably into the hundreds. And there's a story behind every one of them. Uh, I'm sure they justified what they did. And some have been told, and some will be told, but uh, a lot of these stories will just simply be forgotten as to, you know, the real details. So, anyway, the Rangers never had a uniform, and nor did they wear a badge. And generally, they furnished their own weapon, their own horse. They were an arm of the Texas government, and they were also abused by that same power. Uh, for instance, Ranger companies were usually recru- recruited locally and paid $30 a month and board. Well, mm. you know, that wasn't much. And when they were killed, and a lot of them were, uh, the state basically shoveled them into the ground as cheaply as possible. And when the troubles which they'd been hired to stop were finally settled, they were just kind of basically said, go home. You know, you're done and told if they wanted to re-enlist at another trouble spot, they could pay their own way to transportation to get to where they needed to be. So they weren't really a very appreciated bunch of guys. I can see that. Yeah, and, well, finally in 1874, the Texas legislature created two distinct ranger forces, mainly for the protection against Indians and Mexicans. Well, there's a Captain McNeely, and he commanded a force to suppress troubles along the Mexican border. Now, this McNeely went uh, to stop the killing and the thieving that was going on, and Mexican rustlers had been slipping across the Rio Grande and and stealing uh, livestock. And anyway, as rustlers were caught crossing the river, uh, he would slip a rope, they would just slip a rope around their neck and toss it over a tree limb and haul them up and down a few times in order to make them talk. Well, when they did, which they always did, uh, you know, you can imagine if you got a rope around your neck and you're being pulled up and down off the ground, uh, after all possible information had been extracted, uh, well, the poor guy was lynched anyway. So basically he pulled on his buddies and still got killed. So, But anyway, in order to completely stop the rustling, the rangers stuck, uh, uh, struck at its source. They crossed the Rio Grande to a ranch house headquarters, charged and killed several Mexicans during this fight. And unfortunately, they struck and killed innocent people in the wrong place. Uh-oh. So they galloped south to the correct location and clashed with the Mexican army, which chased McNeese's men back to the other side of the river. Holy cow, they could have used a GPS. <laughs> you know, not a good thing to be in the wrong place at the wrong time, you know. Well, McNeely, he actually died, and so a guy by the name of Armstrong took over his duties. Now, Armstrong, he kind of ran over criminals, uh, and he actually was a guy that wanted to catch John Wesley Harden. Oh, I remember him. Yeah, and, you know, one of the West's best-known fugitives. Mm-hmm. You know? And actually, after a considerable amount of detective work, he did track down Harden to Alabama, killed one of his followers, and he took uh, Wesley Harden prisoner. And, of course, Harden went to jail for 15 years. Mm-hmm. So, 
I guess you could say that was a good thing, sort of, you know. But gradually the Rangers moved into West Texas, West Texas and in 1881 they ambushed a war party of Indians and, and this basically was the last Indian fight in Texas. And with this particular fight, basically was the end of an era. There were no more frontiers, basically. The Rangers were becoming more and more of a kind of a police force. They'd move from one trouble spot to another. They would hunt cattle thieves, bank robbers, fence cutters, you know, really bad people that would fence, cut fences. Um, in 1900, basically, the battalion faded out of existence for a long time. Well, in 1935, the Rangers reorganized as a part of the Department of Public Safety. Mm-hmm. And they were charged with the protection of life and property and the investigation of major crimes and, and insurrections, things like that. Well, nowadays they actually do have an official uniform, and, you know, you've probably seen them. You know, they wear a white dress shirt, yep. black tie. Yep. Uh, they have a silver-gray Stetson that they wear, uh, tan western-cut trousers, uh, black gun holster, black cowboy boots, and a three fifty seven revolver. And at this stage in history, they are basically the elite of Texas investigative forces. I agree. And it's a group of 82 men known and respected around the world. Mm-hmm. So they've come from, like I say, kind of a, a troubled and dark past, and yet they did some good things to where they are now, like I say, the elite uh, in law enforcement, again, known throughout the world. Absolutely. And I know, I really do know, let's see, one, two, I know three Texas Rangers personally down in Texas, and they are the epitome of professional. Yeah, to me, you know, everything I've known about them in our lifetime has been nothing but good and, you know, honest men that, uh, you know, are trying to do the very best they can. Hey, I was going to mention something to you this morning, and I've only got a couple of minutes left, and I wanted to throw this at you. Are you familiar with that Hollywood movie called My Darling Clementine that was a black-and-white movie that was shot, I think it was in the 40s, with Henry Fonda and Walter Brennan and uh, uh, Forrest Tucker? Are you familiar with that old Western? You know, the name sounds familiar, but I can't really remember much about it. Well, it was all about Wyatt Earp, and it was all about the uh, final battle at the OK Corral. And I had a chance to catch that movie last night. It was on television. And it was appalling to me that Hollywood, even back then, took such liberties with history, and they were dead wrong on everything they portrayed there. You know, it, it's sad that, uh, again, the romanticizing and the Hollywoodizing of, of true stories to make them more, I don't know, make them more appealing, which they don't make it appealing to me, because when I go to a movie, I want to see the actual historical events uh, as they were. Yeah. Well, in the movie last night with Henry Fonda, and he played Wyatt Earp, uh, at the end of the movie, after the gunfight at the OK Corral, they had Doc Holliday dying in the gunfight at the OK Corral. That was the furthest thing from the truth. He died in a sanatorium in Colorado. Right. Yeah. Before we go, I want to just say something real quick. Last week, uh, I was up by the Henry's Lake area, which is where... Uh, Jim Bridger and those guys were when they got shot. Yeah, the Naked Mountain Men. Ennis, Montana, to two little ghost towns called Virginia City and Nevada City. Oh, yes. So I'm just putting this out to everybody. If you get over that direction to Ennis, go over, it's only 15 miles, over to Virginia City is the first town you come to. 
said, go another mile, and you'll get to Nevada City, where they have uh, a ghost town area where you can, you pay a few dollars, but you go in and you walk around all these buildings, uh, you know, uh, mm-hmm. a school, uh, a little Chinatown, a uh, uh, and, you know all these things that were they've moved in but basically it's it's a, and you can do panning for gold right there you can ride the train between Nevada City and Virginia City uh, and the highlight of the trip was they have a two story outhouse <laughs> so uh, you want to be sure to see that you're not saying anything I, I'm debating whether I want to add a comment to that or not <laughs> well uh, it, it's there's a hotel there uh, there's a hotel there that you can actually stay in in Nevada City. I see. And uh, just re- kind of relive the old past. Uh, the guy that drew the bottom is not necessarily going to be the winner. You wouldn't call him lucky. No, I wouldn't. <laughs> anyway, it's, it's, if anybody gets over that direction, it's well worth uh, making the drive over to Virginia and Nevada cities and just kind of see what those old mining towns were like. All right. Well, listen, uh, I'll be talking to you again next week, and I just want to wish you the very best. But for all the audience out there, don't forget dr-history.com, and you can just plug right in and listen to these programs on Zeb at the Ranch. dr-history.com with our dear friend, Dr. History, better known as Dr. Ken Turner. Thank you so much. All right, Zeb. You have a good day. God bless you, man. Thanks. Uh-huh. Bye. I love that program and that segment. Thank you. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.